The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Welcome back to Super. That's what I'm hearing. It's called Super Wildcard Weekend and NBC Sports Edge's DFS Building Block Show. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined by friend in life, Kyle Dvorak. Eventually, a little behind right now, running into some transportation issues. Nonetheless, we are kicking this show off because we are ready. Tons of slates, tons of playoff challenges to discuss and I'll make sure we hit on everything because I'm in the streets with you. I am in the FFPC playoff challenge, both the $200 entry for a 500K first place payout, 100K too. That's more than acceptable if we take that down. Also the $35 top heavy tournament and winning 100K if you take it down. And then of course we have two game slates on FanDuel, three game slates on FanDuel and DraftKings, and then the almighty six game slate. Somewhat inconvenient if you were used to the old accustomed ways of wildcard weekend and getting four to five games and then getting the hell out of there. But nonetheless, we adjust. The salaries are different. If you look across those slates as well, two game, three game, six game, some players are cheaper than the main six game slate. And so we'll talk about the values along the way and why I think it's really interesting. This is what I want to open the show with. And we'll go game by game today, by the way, as always an interactive show as well. Why I like the two game slate on Saturday. And that's where we're going to start most of the time, and I've been playing the two-game slates, so take this with a great assault. Most of the time, you look at a two-game slate, though, and think, okay, no big deal here. Game scripts are easy to guess. But why I love it, and you'll find this out shortly, is that I think we have two live dogs on Saturday. And that's why I'm looking forward to playing this two-game slate, because not only can I get contrarian and going against the grain, but also I think it's intelligently contrarian. You start off with the Raiders and Beagles game. That's our first lineup lock game of the weekend. And all you got to do is look at the pass-to-box score and see, although the Bengals already beat the Raiders once this year, 32-13, until the midway point of the third quarter, that game was actually a three-point lead. That's it for the Bengals, 16-13 overall. Also, we got some prime Zach Taylor play calling in that game, 32 carries to 29 passes. And against Gus Bradley's cover three, it wasn't Jamar Chase against the Raiders defense that limits big play ability and explosive plays through the air. It wasn't T. Higgins, who, as we know, leads the team in targets since returning from injury. It was actually Tyler Boyd, who led the team with a 27.5% target share 
against Gus Bradley's cover three, which makes it really interesting. So not only do I think Tyler Boyd, if we're starting on that end, is a good play, really good play for the two-game slate, for showdown slates. Perhaps he doesn't lead in production, but I do believe he's going to lead in targets no matter what. So that's the kind of opportunity we're chasing here, and I want to play him for sure in the two-game slates. I also think we should overload ourselves on Joe Mixon. Sure, Joe Burrow's an awesome play, but given all the reasons I just cited, of course this one could be slowed down. I understand the Bengals have the rest advantage here. We're talking about running 88 plays on defense the Raiders did on Monday night, just Monday night, and then turning around for literally the first kickoff of Wild Card Weekend. So in terms of rest advantage, especially since the Bengals starters were essentially all held out in Week 18, of course the Bengals get the nod. But trusting Zach Taylor's play calling, which only came around in their last two games of the starters, a rivalry game against Baltimore, which they continued passing the ball with a 30-point lead in the fourth quarter, and that Week 17 game against the Chiefs, which they went down early, the Bengals did, and then had no choice but to throw the ball. It's not really a situation I want to trust, especially in a two-game slate, whenever everyone's going to go that direction. So I don't mind getting on Joe Mixon, who, in my opinion, is the best running back play on the two-game slate, at least. I also don't mind carrying Joe Mixon to the sixth game or the five game if you're playing the weekend only. But I actually want to be underweight on the Bengals' passing attack. For FFPC challenges, we can talk about that, since in that case you would then be betting on the Bengals to go further than just this round, right? DFS, we get our return on our investment on Sunday night or Monday night, whichever slates you're playing. And the FFPC playoff challenges, or the NFFC, where you're drafting your team as well. That's a fun format. Or in best ball, you're drafting hoping that the Bengals go further. So, you know, Jamar Chase this week, which I already told you, I think is actually, famous last words, a worse play than Tyler Boyd. It's a different scenario we're talking about if we're trying to drag along Jamar Chase to matchups moving forward. But for this week only, I like Tyler Boyd. I like Joe Mixon. I like being underweight on the Bengals' passing attack. For the Raiders' side, it's interesting because on FanDuel, at least, I think Derek Carr makes an argument, in particular in two-game slates, because we know what the field's going to do. In two games, at least, you look at the upside that Josh Allen provides. And I'm not going to jump to that game just yet, but remember, in Week 17, in a piss-poor performance against a Falcons secondary that he threw three picks against, and that was a secondary that was riddled with injuries and was on the COVID list throughout, Josh Allen still finished as the QB7 overall. And that's where, I'm not moving along just yet, but that's where I keep coming back to when I think about Derek Carr on FanDuel, when I think about Joe Burrow, who doesn't offer even a resemblance of the rushing upside that Josh Allen does. I keep coming back to, yeah, like Derek Carr is a sneaky contrarian play, as is Matt Jones in that other game. But also, if we're getting the rushing floor from Josh Allen as well, and if we can look at his poor performance and say, well, in that Week 17 game, he still scored 21 fantasy points. Maybe you just eat the chalk in the two-game slate. Maybe you just suck it up and skip Derek Carr, who, again, I think is a fine option for FanDuel. What we also have with Derek Carr are the options around him. And what that is is that Darren Waller, last week, you would think after COVID list, knee injury, he would come back and be a limited player. And if you look at the box score, 78% of the snaps suggest that. But behind the scenes, not the case at all. 
ran a route on 91% of Derek Carr's dropbacks for a team-high 25% target share, did not produce in the box score in terms of production. I understand that. But also, we're not worried given the elite on-field usage. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stuff Darren Waller, not only in all my two-game slates, especially when you look and you see some dust balls like C.J. Ozoma, who people might get cute and play, Dawson Knox, who we'll talk about in a second. But overall, I think we should go overweight on Darren Waller, and that's what I'm going to do. So even looking at the six-game slate, it's tough because step back for a moment and remember that our advantage for six-gamers is to not play a lot of Saturday, right? We want to take the information from Saturday. We will have ownership percentage by Saturday night for those two games and players. And more importantly, we will know what the chalk does. Now you step back and also say, well, what if there is no chalk from Saturday? I think Joe Mixon will be one of the highest rostered running backs of wildcard weekend. So at least we'll get that information and not only the roster percentage information, but also the production. Like what did the chalk do? It's so important, especially since perhaps even some people forget the late swap on a six game slate over spanning over the course of three days. So I will not be looking to jam in too much from this day, but overall, I think Darren Waller is one where I'm trying to get around, especially when you look at the salaries and know what people are going to do with Travis Kelsey, more importantly, Rob Gronkowski, who will be heavily rostered, and Dallas Goddard, who's just too cheap not to roster in an elite spot. So that's where I'm at right now with this game. Zay Jones, you can drag along on DraftKings, especially for the two-game slate. I would just remember that Zay Jones doesn't offer a ceiling. And as the chalk cheap player, that is probably the one everyone's going to play. Very cheap at 4K, and more importantly, doesn't offer a ceiling. Hasn't scored a touchdown since week one, and has not gone over 70 yards receiving in, or has only gone over 70 yards receiving, I should say, in one game all year. So literally everyone's just playing him for the reception floor, and I think we can do better than that, honestly. And I say that because, well, Let's hit on Josh Jacobs really quick. I understand the 26 touches. Maybe you suck it up and say, well, it's 26 touches. Who cares, right? Who cares that Jalen Richard actually quietly matched Josh Jacobs and routes run? Jalen Richard quietly played a season high in snaps, 31% last week, ran as many routes as Josh Jacobs, 20 apiece. And Jacobs' targets he saw were actually the fewest he's seen since Jalen Richard returned from injury in the COVID list. So I actually think Jacobs' pass-catching role is slowly shrinking before our eyes. And it's not like he was doing anything with that pass-catching role anyways. He was averaging six yards per catch. It was just a fact, like David Montgomery, he was getting those targets and getting those catches. But now if we're saying, well, he's only going to get two or three targets because that's Jalen Richard's role, maybe I don't care. Maybe I just don't play him overall because while the touch floor is there, the targets, the ceiling performance is something I'm worried about. Having said that, I personally do believe the Raiders are live dogs. I understand the rest theory and situation, um, but I also understand, like we talked about earlier, that the Bengals and Zach Taylor could easily screw this play-calling situation up. It comes down to the, the pass rush of the Raiders and how much the Bengals truly slow it down in their play-calling and running the ball. The Raiders even sent a blitz at the lowest rate in the league. Just four blitzes the last time these two teams played. So I expect them to try and get the job done in the second rematch with only a four-man pass rush. So yeah, Josh Jacobs, I'm a little bit lighter on, but I like Darren Waller a lot. 
I would be very careful on Zay Jones. And I do think Hunter Renfro is a good pivot since given the lay of the land, given what people are trying to pay up for and the Bills and Patriots game, I think he is or should be less of a priority. Moving on to the Patriots-Bills game, though, this is where it gets really interesting because I initially came into the weekend thinking that it's a easily a hard fade for Josh Allen. Not only weather concerns, as, as everyone knows by now probably, it's going to feel like negative three degrees on Saturday night in Buffalo, but also just the fact that Josh Allen career 57% completion rate against the Patriots has been his lone bugaboo throughout his entire career. Yes, last time. The Bills basically just didn't run the ball. Uh, gave Devin Singletary seven targets as they prioritized passing 47 attempts against the Patriots. Um, and it came down to efficiency that game, actually. You know, the Bills were third. They finished third of the entire year and third down conversion percentage. So to see that they went 6 of 12 in that game, not surprising. But to also, until the Chargers had no choice but to go for it, basically every single possession on fourth down against the Raiders on Monday night, the Bills quietly ran the, the most fourth downs of any team in any game to that point of the season in their second match against the Bills. And they went three or four on fourth down. Whereas you look at the Patriots in that game, they finished the year 10th in third down conversion percentage, but actually went one for 10 on third down against the Bills. And so I think there is a little bit of regression here. I think it's a game the Patriots can hang around. And honestly, it is the worst possible draw for the Bills in the first round. And thus... Given the low total, given the weather, it's not really a game I want to be heavily on the Bills. Having said that, as I mentioned earlier, to score 21 fantasy points in a terrible performance against the Falcons and over the last month to just be running more, running intricately, actually calling design runs for them at a higher rate, the Bills are in Josh Allen, I think you suck it up and you go two directions here. You either go with naked Josh Allen, with Patriots runbacks, or... You go Dawson Knox, who is going to be most likely the lowest projected player to be brought along with Josh Allen, whether it's the two game or the six game, Dawson Knox with Josh Allen. I also think, and this is something I didn't come around to till I was listening to Davis Maddock and Rich Rebar on their picks six show, their pick show for the wild card. And Reeves had mentioned that given the weather, given the knowledge that everyone wants to wait until Sunday to play their quarterback, essentially, and just the fact that Dak's going to be the highest rostered quarterback, which we'll get to that in a moment, maybe you actually play Josh Allen hoping for a ceiling game, hoping that the teams score a lot of points and go over, and you get Josh Allen underweight in the six-game slate since it's not advised to play Josh Allen. So in the six-game slate, even though we want that extra information, I actually think, yes, that it makes a lot of sense to play Josh Allen if he's going to come in like under 10%, under 15%, I think is the better guess. And I think he will because everyone's going to be scared off this game. So maybe I do play Josh Allen's Stephon Diggs and call it a day in the sixth game and then adjust from there since we'll still have numerous late swap opportunities to get to. Steve Boynton asks, Josh Allen naked in tournaments, and that's what I just mentioned. He asked before I answered, but that's what I just mentioned, hoping he spreads it out and runs a lot. I think we do get that. I'm also okay with Stephon Diggs and Dawson Knox. Like I said, I'm trying to get Dawson Knox wherever I play Josh Allen in the two-game slate. 
I wanted to mention Mac Jones a little bit, but also just in the fact that over the past couple of months, Mac Jones playing top 10 pass rush defenses are the reasons why he has struggled. I can't get there. Even in offering a rushing four, right? The last time the Bills played, since they lost Tredavious White, they play the same personnel on defense. And Mac Jones, that led to him actually scrambling more six carries for 38 yards in their last matchup. It's still not enough of a ceiling over Josh Allen, even in the two-game slate where we are advised to get a little weird. And so that's how I'm getting weird. Josh Allen naked, like Boynton mentions, or Josh Allen with Dawson Knox, with Stephon Diggs or Devin Singletary. That's kind of the way I'm looking. On the other side of the ball, Jacoby Myers is the obvious play. I will say right now, you know, via friends around the industry, it looks like Jacoby Myers also is going to be rostered in like over 30%. As a player who we know doesn't score touchdowns, He's going to be rostered in over 30% of lineups and the two-game slate for his reception floor. And so if that's the case, we can't play Jacoby Myers, right? we got to get off him. So I'm either looking at Devin Singletary or Damian Harris pivots. Looks like Ronder Stevenson's going to play this game, and it's odd because Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson literally haven't played a game together, a full game, since week 12. They both left for various reasons, various injuries, and now the lineup in that time. But the last two times we saw them play together, weeks 11 and 12, they handled 21 carries apiece, literally split down the middle. Devin Singletary, for instance, on DraftKings is 600 less than Damian Harris. So that's kind of the toss-up we're dealing with. So I think you have to tell yourself a story. You can play Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, and Dawson Knox, and then play Damian Harris if you don't want to play Devin Singletary. I think another direction to go... It's a lot thinner since we are expecting Nikhil Harry to play, barring injury. But with Christian Wilkerson, and this is where we get in a two-game slate, with Christian Wilkerson promoted from the practice squad, perhaps starting, I think that's where I get a little weird on the other side of the ball. Especially since in his lone appearance, remember the last time these two teams, or no, the last time he played a couple weeks ago, in his lone appearance, he did score two touchdowns two red zone touchdowns because that's where they used him. Whereas that's not where they use Jacoby Myers, who everyone's instead going to play. So again, two game slate getting a little weird. We're going to know what we need to do on Sunday night based on what happened Sunday with Bengals Raiders beforehand. Thus I'm actually leaning towards Christian Wilkerson to get a little weird on the Patriots side of the ball. And I don't mind playing him with Damian Harris, hoping for the touchdown equity from the Patriots. And that's sort of where I'm leaning for the two-game slate, and to start the six-game slate off. If you ask me right now, I think I'm going to fade Joe Mixon the six-game slate because I prefer to wait on running back and see what I need to do with that information. But Josh Allen, if the field's not going to be on him over the three-day three slate, I actually do want to be overweight on him. So that's as far as my thoughts on Saturday. We move into Sunday, though, and it gets interesting. First game, of course, Eagles-Bucks. And it's just a completely different matchup than what we saw last time. Because the last time these two teams played, that was the last game before the Eagles flipped the switch on offense and turned into a run-heavy attack. They didn't even have a running back carry into the fourth quarter. Miles Sanders didn't have a carry. And remember, Todd Bowles led the league in blitz rate. Miles Sanders in that game did stay in and have to blitz more. But also the Eagles, to that point of the season, were passing at a 57% rate in neutral game script, whereas afterwards they were top five in run play rate 
from neutral game script. On that same note, the Bucks, this is where it gets sneaky. The Bucks have actually permitted the third highest rate of 10-yard carries, aka explosive runs, since returning from their bye in week 10, including, if you look back recently, 109 yards to Josh Allen and a touchdown, 42 yards to Cam Newton, who just came off the bench. He was a part-time player against them. And then you look at backfields the past two games, Michael Carter had a few explosive runs, and then even Choba Hubbard got there for over 40 as a part-time player as well, alongside Reggie Bonifon and Amir Abdullah. So given that the Bucs have actually been leaky against the run and that we know that's how the Eagles want to attack against the run, I think that's where it gets really interesting. Jalen Hurts right now projecting for 12% or less. Even on the three-game slate, no one wants to play Jalen Hurts compared to the powerhouses and the salary sabers and Dak and cheap Jimmy Garoppolo and Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. And so knowing that the Bucs struggle against the run, especially from week 10 on, those are the stats I mentioned, second half of the season, knowing that Shaq Barrett is going to play, right, but he hasn't played in two weeks due to injury and COVID, so who knows if he's at full strength. Levante David looks like he's going to play. He's questionable. Was just designated to return from injured reserve, so again, who knows if he's at full strength. I think the Eagles' offense is a sneaky one to get ahead of here, and no one's going to be on them. Maybe not so much Miles Sanders, but for cheap Dallas Goddard, no one's going to play Jalen Hurts, who has the rushing upside with Chief Dallas Goddard. Now, Hurts has been battling an anchor injury, you know, over his last month of the season since he returned from injury. He's averaged five fewer carries per game than what he averaged to the point of that injury. But now, with a week of rest, right, 14 days off essentially since he was last performed, there is some probably some sneaky upside to get him under-rostered. So I love Jalen Hurts. Love Jalen Hurts. Whether it's the two games, whether it's the three-game slate or the sixth game. I think Jalen Hurts makes a real good argument in the sixth game to take a rushing floor here. On the other side of the ball, though, what's interesting is that I also wonder how much Brady will get played due to weather concerns. And there is supposed to be nasty weather, right? Rain, 20 to 30 mile per hour winds. Having said that, if we also get underweight Brady, especially in a three-game slate where people are honing in on one game. Everyone's honing in on 49ers-Cowboys. Everyone loves that game. Everyone's worried about the weather for the Bucks eagles Then it's also an amazing opportunity to jump on Brady, especially because there are only a few places to go. Right now, Leonard Fournette is a game-time decision. I should note, Bruce Arians said that if Fournette's active, he's going to carry the load. So all we need is that active note on Sunday morning. And obviously, you should leave some spots open, a lot of spots open after Saturday, but leave some spots open in particular for Fournette, who averaged 13.5 carries, 7.5 targets in the month leading up to his last injury, a bell cow. And in this same scheme against this zone defense of Jonathan Gannon, remember the last time they played a heavy zone like this scheme, the Bucks, it was against Matt Eberflus's scheme against the Colts. And Leonard Fournette was the engine. They couldn't even do anything without peppering it down to Leonard Fournette, who had four touchdowns in that game. So Brady, and then trying to soak up all the touchdown equity with an onslaught with Mike Evans, who I know, last time he played, Darius Slay, only 25 yards. Mike Evans, historically a struggle with man coverage, with shadow coverage in his career. But also, it's Mike freaking Evans without Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin as a full-time player for the first time 
all season long. We genuinely, although we know he struggled against shadow coverage for his career, we genuinely don't know his ceiling. We don't know what he's capable of. And like, think about that. A Hall of Fame receiver that we haven't seen reach his potential with this role just yet. Even last week, an 18.5% target share, played the fewest snaps he's played in the full game all year, was Tampa Bay's only receiver with an end zone target. And yet, the fact he hasn't reached a 28% target share all year, and now we're projecting him as an every snap player without those two other Hall of Famers and Godwin and Brown, this could be a hammer on the ball anyhow in man coverage. And let's see what happens. He could easily just, even with these terrible historical splats, stats, he could easily splash two touchdowns here and be the highest ceiling wide receiver on the entire slate, especially in the three-game slate. So I'm still trying to soak up all the touchdown equity with Mike Evans, with Leonard Fournette, if he's active, and with Gronk. If Fournette's inactive, I also think Tyler John makes a good case who, you know, sandwiched around the last game we saw where he led the team in routes run and didn't get a single target. That was against the Panthers. He is averaging six targets. He's not doing anything with those targets. But as a slot receiver settling into a zone, and again, we're getting Jonathan Gannon's zone shell scheme here, I think Tyler Johnson at least offers a very good floor for cheap, especially, actually, let's argue only if you're playing with Tom Brady since you're really just chasing the touchdown equity. So I like Bucks on slots, knowing that everyone's going to be worried about the weather and go to Cowboys 49ers instead. Also, before we move on here, Steve Boynton asked, Viable to leave your entire roster open going into Sunday on the full weekend slate? I do think it's viable. I mentioned Josh Allen being very interesting. I know I play differently than everyone. Uh, and I should probably get on, especially since I even mentioned, if we know everyone's going to be underweight on Josh Allen and the Bucks, it makes the most sense then to probably at least carry Josh Allen naked or with Stephon Diggs or with Devin Singletary into Sunday in a six-game slate. But like right now, I'll tell you, since I play mid and high stakes single entries, I don't have anyone from Saturday. So I would say, yes, you can leave your entire roster open, work with the information since information is our biggest friend. Kyle Dvorak also asked the question that I just answered. I don't think it's Perryman so much. He asked about the Bucks ancillary receivers for those listening at home to the podcast on Saturday morning. Thank you as well for doing that all year. He asked about the ancillary receivers, but... I do think it's Tyler Johnson over Brashad Perryman, even with Cyril Grayson ruled out. And that's where I'm looking, knowing the field is going to be worried about the weather. Brady being like the one quarterback, we never worry about the weather, but now suddenly people are worried about the weather. We should also expect shorter passes to just move the chains, dump down the field slowly, getting high reception totals against this shell scheme. So yeah, I do like coming in overweight on Brady in the three game slates, assuming that the what we are projecting for ownership right now holds and everyone's terrified of the weather. So Jalen Hurts, I like a lot, three game and six game. Brady, I like a lot, especially on slots and three games if no one else is doing it. And then we're waiting on the four net news. I don't think I can get as cute or as far to play one of the running backs. I do like Miles Sanders, but we also know Jordan Howard at full health is probably going to take away touches, the fruitful touches too, the money touches inside the 10 yard line. So that's where I'm at. With this particular game, if we get Fournette, I would even argue your onslaught should not include Gronk because I believe he's going to be the highest roster tight end in this three-game slate. I would rather 
and there is an argument to, to roster both Goddard and Gronk. Goddard as your run back in any Bucks onslaught. But I would argue play Goddard over Gronk and instead get your onslaught exposure. Onslaught, of course, being four bucks. Get your onslaught exposure via Tyler Johnson over Gronk. So instead you're playing Mike Evans, Leonard Fournette, and Tyler Johnson over Mike Evans, Leonard Fournette, and Rob Gronkowski. That's kind of the way I look at it. If Fournette plays, then if Fournette does not play, then you can squeeze in Gronk and also play Tyler Johnson because a lot of people will play Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski, but probably won't bring along Tyler Johnson. So that's the way I'm looking at it right now. Those are my favorite plays in that game. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Master Force Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Master Force tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at Moving on to the 49ers-Cowboys situation, which I view differently, admittedly. So maybe you even go to another show and listen to what people have to say about this game after you hear my opinion, because I'm viewing it from a completely different angle than everyone else. I see many friends who have projections around the industry weighing the Cowboys heavily, almost ensure to win. I know that the 49ers' money line 49ers as three-point dogs. It's so mushed. It's so like popular now that Colin Cowherd picked the 49ers to win. And when Colin Cowherd picks a dog, that's usually the one you bet against. That's not the side you want to be on. Having said that, it is a great spot. Dallas finished number six in pass defense UVA, number two in EPA per drop back. But in hindsight, they allowed 4.3 yards per carry to opposing running backs. And what we can now see was against the second easiest schedule of opposing rushing offenses. And we know run the ball is exactly what the 49ers want to do. Elijah Mitchell averaged 26 and a half carries in his last five starts around multiple injuries. 49ers have schemed the rock to Debo Samuel with six and a half carries and seven and a half targets in his last three games, getting it done in multiple ways, even had the 24-yard touchdown pass this past week. And so while Dallas does offer a scary passing defense, and that could come into play and be an issue if the 49ers get behind. I would also argue that what we've seen from the Cowboys offense that has disappeared time and time again over the second half of the season since Dak returned from that calf injury in week nine is that Dak has played three games against defenses creating a bottom 10 pressure rate, softer pass rush defenses since he returned from that injury in week nine. And in those games, against the Falcons, Giants, and Cardinals, 
those were his best efforts. Multiple touchdowns, didn't reach 300 yards in any of those, but that's when we really could see him pinpoint the passes and they were explosive offense. However, in the other games against stronger pass rushing defenses, those were the games, obviously, the Cowboys we were left holding the bag with. Rostering and what we perceived as to over totals, and no one got there because their, their offense performed so poorly. You could look to the Raiders and say, yeah, the Raiders are a top five defense creating pressure, but then you look at the actual weekly individual stats, and the Raiders actually reached Dak at the lowest rate of any team Thanksgiving weekend. So Dak actually, although the Raiders are a good pass rushing team, the Raiders actually didn't create pressure at all in that game. And thus Dak, as we saw, went for 375 and three touchdowns. Whereas the 49ers have created pressure this year at a top six rate. And so while everyone, you know, given the salary, both in the six game and three game on Sunday, given the salaries for Cowboys offense and, and Dak Prescott, we know everyone's going to be on the Cowboys offense. Whereas I don't think I like it. I think I'm pretty much worried. I understand the team totals. I understand the over. Perhaps they get there. I am significantly less bullish on the Cowboys offense than most people. I think a lot of recency bias is coming into play as well. Week 18, of course, the Cowboys play the Eagles second stringers. And for some reason, everyone is carrying that performance over. Say, yeah, the Cowboys look great. Well, of course, because they're playing backups. They better look good against the backups. The backups better not touch Dak Prescott because they're backups. But even then, Ezekiel Elliott had incentives to chase. It took him 18 carries to get his incentives because he has no ceiling. If you play him, the ceilings are multiple touchdowns. That's it. He's going to be, right now, I believe, the highest rostered Cowboy and FFPC playoff challenges, for example. And no one can give a good argument as to why, except that you have to play for multiple touchdowns. So I'm worried about the Cowboys passing attack. In fact, I actually enjoy that the field will be very heavy on them because I would rather fade them. I'd rather take my chance both in a three-game and six-game. So much so that when we look at contrarian defenses, knowing that the Chiefs are going to be the highest rostered across all slates, highest rostered by far, I actually think the 49ers make a very good case to play their defense, knowing we've seen the Cowboys S the bed multiple times over the second half of the season. 49ers are also interesting because of the reasons we mentioned in rushing the ball. And Debo Samuel, for the first time in what seems like a month, is affordable. 7,900, I believe, in the six-gamer. And that's in a slate with Tyreek Hill, $600 cheaper. Cooper Cup, everyone's going to play at $1,100 more. 9K, and the most expensive receiver on the entire slate. And so I think Debo Samuel's actually going to catch ownership for the first time in a month. I still like him. But if that's the case, Brandon Ayuk is a terrific tournament option. George Kittle over Gronk. George Kittle 600 less than Gronk. And I can imagine everyone, even in maybe not playing the Bucks because the weather, I can imagine everyone will still play Gronk, knowing he is their favorite play. Recency bias, again, coming into that as well, because Kittle and averaging two yards per catch this past game, five targets, five catches, 10 targets in week 18 against the Rams. It's also a completely different story. Like, yes, the Cowboys limited Darren Waller, and Travis Kelsey, but also I would argue those were tight ends that played in the slot and out wide a majority of their snaps, whereas 
when they were pelted by Gronk, let's say, and week one, for instance, that was because he played more in line. He runs most of his routes attached to the line of scrimmage, which leaves him on a worse coverage option, like a linebacker, which he can beat. And if George Kittle gets matched up against a linebacker, even Michael Parsons, we've also seen George Kittle, by the way, offer a tight end one ceiling in a month, just two weeks before he laid this dud this past game. So I think George Kittle's an awesome option as well, so much so that he should probably go over Debo if you're looking at a flex option for the three-game slates, knowing that everyone's going to play Debo because he is relatively cheap. But I still obviously love Debo. And if you want to play Debo anyways, that's fine. I don't even mind playing Debo with Elijah Mitchell, thinking that if we're going to attack the Cowboys' defense, we're going to get touchdowns here. Both of them can get there. And how many people will correlate Elijah Mitchell and Debo Samuel? But both of them could easily score rushing touchdowns in this spot. So right now, again, you can listen to other shows as well because they're coming in with a completely different opinion. That's no big deal. I could be, I could very well be wrong here. Never forget the time I said fade the Bengals. And then Joe Burrow threw for 500 yards and four touchdowns. But right now I am underweight on the Cowboys offense compared to the field significantly. And I think the 49ers are an amazing contrarian defense correlated with Elijah Mitchell in the three-game slate. If you told me to pick a Cowboys player, though, to go with Dak Prescott, it's tough. But at least Amari Cooper has seen more targets than CeeDee Lamb the past five games since he demanded more targets. I would also argue Dalton Schultz is actually my favorite player because although he ran, you know, he played the fewest snaps he's played since Blake Jarwin was last available last week and Blake Jarwin's first game back from injured reserve. He also ran the fewest routes on Dallas's dropbacks since he's run without Blake Jarwin last week. But also, remember, the Sorters played three quarters. When push comes to shove in a must-win game, I bet Darwin Schultz, Dalton Schultz, now I'm just mixing them, Darwin Schultz is out there for a majority of the snaps and targets again. So I like sneaking in Dalton Schultz in the three-game slate. I think it's pretty thin in the six-gamer, especially when you talk about six games, everyone's going to hover around this game still. I kind of like to be underweight on this game as a whole, which is why we mentioned the, the Bills offense, whether we believe in them or not, which is why we mentioned bad weather, the Bucks. So I think Dalton Schultz and the Cowboys passing attack is, is pretty scary. Maybe not then, but scary for six game slates, knowing that everyone's hovering around one game. Then we take it into Sunday night, right? The finale that no one wants to watch. Steelers Chiefs. And it's interesting because we already got the news. We already got news that CEH is ruled out. So we're talking about Darrell Williams being a chalk play and for good reason. Pittsburgh defense allowing the most rushing yards per game in their last five games. If the Chiefs signed Frank Gore, Adrian Peterson off the streets, if Darrell Williams couldn't go, even Adrian Peterson and Frank Gore will rush for 200 yards on the Steelers defense. Darrell Williams, as we know, the mentor, has done a good job mentoring and averaging 14 carries and an 11% target share in six full games he's played without CEH. And he's expected to play. With a toe injury, though, in a small three-game slate, it is thin. But if you're taking some pivots into the Sunday night game, let's say you're flexing Chase Claypool at 4,700, right? You're flexing Pat Fryermuth. You're taking some thin options in a three-game slate because the rules are off the board. You're trying to get a little intelligently contrarian. I don't think it's the worst idea to either or, to either play Derek Gore or play Derek Gore with Darrell Williams. Maybe they even, if they take a big lead, if that's the game script we're painting here, maybe they even scale Darrell Williams back and put Frank, or put Derek Gore 
in more at the end of the game because Derek Gore with 12 carries could easily win this slate for you at Stone Men. So I do like taking Derek Gore actually into the late game, especially if we play it to the late game, thinking that the Cowboys and 49ers game fails because that's where we know the chalk is. So I like Derek Gore. I like taking him into Sunday night quite a bit or playing it with Darrell Williams. But either way, you have to keep that spot open. You have to keep that spot open for Darrell Williams. And your six-game slates as well, that's kind of the whole point, as Boynton mentioned earlier, and not playing a Saturday player because there are so many choices, late swap opportunities that we're waiting on. I expect Fournette to play, and like we said, Arians said he'll be get his full workload if he plays, but what if he doesn't? What about, and then the people who played went overweight on Saturday suddenly don't have this opportunity to jump on a Keyshawn Vaughn or, like we mentioned, play Tyler Johnson instead, hoping they just pass more as their running game, a la the Dolphins. So I like taking Leonard Fournette to the next day in a six game slate. I like taking Derek Gore and Daryl Williams beyond the 49ers Cowboys game, getting that information and then maybe pivoting if that game goes nuts, if that game pops off. Okay. Then in that case, we would have to slate swap from. Daryl Williams to Derek Gore trying to get contrarian because we're still trying to save our dollars. We're still trying to get in the green if something goes wrong in a three-game slate. Tyreek Hill, it's interesting. Maybe a part-time player. It is very hard, even in a three-game slate, to stack Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey. I would even argue that, again, Mahomes hasn't killed us. You've probably hurt yourself, actually, double-stacking Mahomes in the last two months of the season. He's not really a player, this is crazy to say, but he's not a player we're worried about in fantasy anymore. So just like Kyle Dvorak and myself talked about over the last month of the season, you would play Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. If you get there, you would play those together because they're going to be under roster together, even in a three-game slate. Right now, I expect them to be under rostered, thinking this is a game where the Chiefs can coast, and maybe it is, but thinking this is a game the Chiefs can coast and thus they're forced to scale everything back and go to Derek Gore more. Even with Tyreek Hill costing 600 less than Debo Samuel, I would expect Debo Samuel to be heavily weighted since that's the total. Those are the team totals. That's the game script. That's the game everyone's excited about. And so you would play Tyreek Hill essentially, if you're playing Tyreek Hill, you would play him over Cooper Cup because he's less rostered, significantly less rostered. And that's the argument, right? You're arguing a Tyreek Hill ceiling game in place of Cooper Cup and place of Debo Samuel. That's really the argument you would have to play Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Otherwise, as I mentioned earlier, I like the personally the Daryl Williams, Derek Gore strategy here. And on the other side of the ball, Chase Claypool, of course, I think is a good option. The targets are going to be inaccurate. It is a wing and a prayer here. You're, cr- you're crossing your fingers. But at least, even in crossing your fingers, the on-field usage has been elite over the last month of the season. In five consecutive games, Claypool's route participation has increased. So much so, he was on the field for a route on 96% of Ben Roethlisberger's dropbacks in Week 18. Even played a season-high 91% of snaps. The targets, again, are inaccurate. But if you're telling me a ceiling player, a cheap one, an under-rostered one that has a ceiling, Everyone, if they play a Steelers, is probably going to play Deontay Johnson for the targets. But I would rather take a chance on Clay, Chase Claypool personally, especially for cheaper, 
especially again, because we can jam him at 4,700 in our flex and then go to Derek Gore for chasing money or just think Derek Gore's a good play, which I pretty much do think he's a good play. As Boynton mentioned, Boynton's just becoming a second host on this special edition of the wildcard show. There is, in fact, yes, Boynton, a pretty good history of KC home playoff games going under the total. Also, if we recall correctly, the Chiefs' defense at home, even against good opponents, the Chiefs' defense at home was always one we counted on to show up and play big games. So even as the chalk defense, I'm not even saying it's like good to fade the Chiefs' defense. They're an awesome play. They really are. But Derek Gore, Chase Claypool, Cowboys are 49ers defense, 49ers especially over the Chiefs defense, I think make a lot of sense in three-game slates. Six-game slates, you maybe don't have to get that cute. Three-game slates, I think they make a lot of sense. And also, yes, I would be taking the Darrell Williams pivots and Leonard Fournette's pivots into Sunday on the six-game slate. That is the weekend slate. I think we covered everything from the weekend. Just a few more notes on Monday because you have now a Monday showdown, and that's the final game, of course. I want to start what I believe is the most important note of Monday night, okay? This is a podcast secret, so don't tweet it. I'm actually reserving this thought just for you, and that is James Conner is a game-time decision. We know that much. Maybe he shows up, maybe he doesn't, but what we do know for sure, especially on DraftKings, is that James Conner, or I'm sorry, Chase Edmonds, is 5,500. We know that for a fact. He's actually 500, 5K. So we actually don't know he's 5,500. He's 5K. We know that part for a fact. We also know, without James Conner, Chase Edmonds averaged 17.5 carries and 7.5 targets. True bell cow in his last two starts in week 17 and 18, week 16 and 17 for James Conner. So if James Conner's out, we get Chase Edmonds bell cow, right? Because Cliff Kingsbury already said Edmonds is going to play. So we know he's going to play Monday night. So for DFS, six game slates, you obviously have to put Chase Edmonds in your flex. Must keep them there. Let's take James Conner's news down to the wire and let's see what happens. But he's arguably a top three running back. Chase Edmonds is James Conner's ruled out. So take him to your flex. Put him in there now before you forget while you're listening. I'll even take a sip of coffee and hold. More importantly, the pod only note. Well, that's a pod only note. But let's go second pod only note. Is that if James Conner's plays, other facts we know are that Zach Ertz is 4,700. And more importantly, Tyler Higby is 4,100. So not only do we have Chase Edmonds at a ceiling, right, perhaps getting under-rostered as a late pivot because we can take him down to the wire and maybe James Conner gets ruled out, we also know the pivots to go to. Zach Ertz will be rostered, and so if we are behind in a six-game slate, even in showdown, let's say, even though there is different strategy in showdown, but six-game slate, Sunday slate, primetime slate, we're playing the Sunday night and Monday night, Zach Ertz is going to be rostered. So we can even use the Chase Edmonds spot in the flex to pivot to Tyler Higby, who's going to be less rostered, significantly less rostered than Zach Ertz. So if we're chasing money, we have three outs. We have Chase Edmonds out if James Conner's ruled out. We have Zach Ertz out as a reception floor if we're already in the money and we're trying to hold off people who are also pivoting from Chase Edmonds to James Conner, right? Or Chase Edmonds to Zach Ertz. You can click on the entries into tournaments when you click in there, look and see who else, what your opponents have the guys that are five to 10 spots behind you, knowing what you're trying to stave off. Or if you're trying to get in the money, you can late swap from Edmonds to Tyler Higby. Higby, of course, who has emerged as Los Angeles' second receiver since he returned from the COVID list three weeks ago, running around 85% of Matthew Stafford's dropbacks and seeing a 22% target share in that span. So I like taking that strategy a lot in a Monday night. 
I'm playing Cooper Cup and FFPC playoff challenges. I'm not going to fade him. I think it's that simple. There would have been an argument had Cam Akers shown up and not been used. And Cam Akers wasn't even good. Tremendous story, but 13 yards on eight touches, not good. Also, eight touches, 13 snaps, enough to where there is no pivot from Cooper Cup and playoff-only challenges. Even if the Cardinals defeat the Rams, and thus you're holding a one-and-done Cooper Cup card and playoff-only challenges like FFPC, NFFC, it's still Cooper Cup, and more importantly, there is no other Ram to roster since Cam Akers is now taking away touches from Sonny Michelle. So I'm still going to play Cooper Cup. I'm going to keep my Chase Edmonds flex ready to go. You can get a little cute if you want, holding over a Christian Kirk, holding over a Matthew Stafford. If you don't want to play a Sunday quarterback, for example, or if you keep Mahomes in your six-game slate lineups, you have them rostered there, and suddenly you need a late swap for whatever reason, you just see that on Sunday night you need a late swap. You can actually, if you're holding Edmonds in the flex and rostering Cooper Cup, you can also go Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, and Tyler Higby and get a double stack sneakily because you late swapped into it. So these are just the things to keep in mind as we go into Monday night with a few question marks. Also, since we have nowhere else to go on the Rams, that's why I think for showdowns, as we get into showdown talk, Sony Michelle is interesting because Cam Akers in the showdown slate, if you look at DraftKings, you look at FanDuel, is essentially stone men. He's, he's almost the minimum price. He only needs to score a touchdown, even though he looked bad because he's still recovering. He only needs to score a touchdown to pay off that price. But then also step back and say, well, that's the game theory, right? That's what everyone's doing. So I actually, in showdown, like paying up for Sonny Michelle in hopes that he's the goal line back and hope he scores one touchdown or two because that's the strategy. Everyone's going to pay down for Cam Akers. Everyone, he's so cheap. So I think I prefer paying up for Sonny Michelle and also getting Tyler Higby involved in my stacks. We have a question also about the Cardinals passing attack from Fantasy Dog. And the issue, of course, in Antoine Wesley and rostering him is that he is touchdown or bust. We even saw last week. Remember, his three touchdowns were accrued on nine catches. And he does lead the team in end zone targets the last month without DeAndre Hopkins. But it's touchdown or bust only. He is basically like, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of a running back who was touchdown or bust only this year. Think of Jared Cook, right? Antoine Wesley has become Jared Cook where he doesn't get peppered with targets. He's become their isolation man. And what's funny, what's funny is that if you look at all his touchdowns or his targets he gets, he doesn't even separate. He's good enough to come down with them from time to time. So he has a boomer bust option on the showdown slate. I do think he's too cute in six gamers, unless like you're bringing along Kyler Murray and you need a stacking option. On showdown, I think he's perfectly fine since he is just the Jared Cook of wide receivers trying to chase touchdowns. But overall, in the six-game fantasy dog, I don't think we need him. But that's why you would play him for a couple touchdowns. But overall, with the Cardinals, everyone's going to play Zach Ertz. That's why we don't have to. We can at least take those decisions down to the wire on Monday night and late swap to Tyler Higby if need be. That is the super wild card slate. I believe that is it. Believe we have it all covered. So with that being said, Thanks to everyone for tuning in. Appreciate you all showing up throughout the weekend. No review show this week on Sunday night at halftime, but we will be back for one more showdown slate. Kyle Dvorak will be there this time. Myself and him next Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, ahead of the four-game divisional round. If you go to the website, NBCSportsEdge.com also, 
my playoff only top 70 rankings will be updated by the time you're listening to this Saturday morning. I'm taking out Clyde Edwards Lair because there's no sense in us rostering him right since he may not even be back for the divisional round. I'm going to upgrade Daryl Williams. I moved Brady ahead of Patrick Mahomes because I do think the Bucks and Packers are in a showdown to the NFC Championship, and it's a coin toss from there. So maybe you lose Brady in three games, but I still think Brady in three games, as crazy as it sounds, especially when you factor in that the Super Bowl is double points in most playoff challenges, Brady in three games may be more viable than Patrick Mahomes in four games. So I have Brady as my QB1, but I'm actually going to push you to the rankings. You can look at the rest of them there. Again, they will be updated by Saturday morning by the time you're looking at there. And then, of course, we will be live Sunday night after the Chiefs-Steelers game. Yes, live afterwards, late into the evening, to recap for fantasy, for betting, the wild card weekend, the five games to that point, and discuss what you need to do with late swaps and everything heading into Monday night. So until then, genuinely, good luck this weekend, and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. We'll see you then. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.